This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Is it a gadget? Is it a gizmo? No, it's gadgets and gizmos with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose. Well, well, where, where are we going now? Well, I imagine you've been rather worried about WD, WD 0810-353. Is that like a better version of WD-40? <laughs> it's not. It's much rather bigger than WD-40. It's a white dwarf, two-thirds the mass of our sun, which, according to the Gaia Space Observatory, was expected to hit the Earth in just 29,000 years. Oh. Oh, well, maybe I'll be spared to live long enough to see it. Well, no, it's not going to happen. Oh. They got it wrong. So I thought you'd be relieved. Well, some good news to start this week. Yes, yes. Well, you should have given us the bad news first and then waited a while and then give me the good I news. Because I didn't really have time <laughs> well, to process it, to be honest. I didn't have time to get worried in order to then be relieved. You don't have to be that worried. You're um, sure it's not going to hit because, I'm, I'm, you know, my descendants might be a bit nervous. They might. No, that's not going to hit. According to the European Southern Observatories, uh, they've got a very large telescope that they call Very Large Telescope. And apparently uh, the Gaia people got their calculations wrong. So it's not going to hit at all. I thought you'd just be pleased to hear that. Uh, Well, I am. That doesn't mean nothing else is going to hit in the interim, of course, does it? No, it might do. But let's look on the positive side, shall we? All right. Okay. What else have you got that's positive? Well, well, it's difficult. I mean, predicting things 29,000 years in the future is tricky, as uh, as these scientists uh, have found out. Predicting things even 10 days in the future is fairly tricky, which is why weather forecasters get it wrong so often. Hmm. I mean, I know people whinge about weather forecasters, but I'm going to be one of them. If I was a weather forecaster, I'd be too embarrassed to pick up my paycheck at the end of the week. I, I have week. been told by somebody who has been a weather forecaster that one of the problems is we are a relatively small island, which makes it staggeringly much more difficult than if we were on a big you know, landmass. Yes. Well, they use computers, of course. They use supercomputers. And to do a 10-day prediction... The, with because, a yes, they, yes, they couldn't predict rather with just an ordinary computer. No, it would have to be a super one. It would have to be a super one. But yeah. it takes hours and hours and hours. Well, now Google has its own numerical weather prediction, which is calling numerical weather prediction. This could be a week of rather bad names for things, couldn't it? Very prosaic. Mm-hmm. And it'll do the same 10-day prediction in just one minute on a single computer. Oh, quite impressive, isn't it? Does that make it any more they accurate? Uses, uh, yes, apparently. Uh, it uses an AI system called Graphcast, which is trained on 40 years of weather data. Hmm. And it was correctly predicted a hurricane nine days in advance, where traditionally they could only predict it maximum six days in advance. So I think that's altogether, you know, very good. Good for Google. Yeah, but will that work with British weather? Oh, I don't know. Possibly not. Drizzle. 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 More drizzle. Yes. More drizzle. I mean, if I was a weather forecaster, I think I'd say tomorrow is going to be more or less like today. And I think I'd be right most of the time. Yes. Well, my friend who was a weather forecaster spent a lot of his time in Abu Dhabi doing forecasting. 
but easier there, Abu Dhabi. Yeah. I don't imagine the weather changes very much in Abu Dhabi. That's what I yes. claimed to him. He he claims that's not the case. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So good old Google, or rather bad old Google. They're being oh. sued. They're being sued by Epic Games, makers of Fortnite and lots and lots and lots of other um, big games, for their restrictive practices. Because uh, you have to, in order to sell anything, any apps on the uh, Android phones, hmm. you have to pay an extortionate amount to, to Google, 15% of your revenues. Yes. If you sell over a million dollars worth of stuff a year, then it goes up to 30% of your revenue. And Epic Games... Are doesn't, saying, doesn't Apple charge 30% on its App Store? It does, yes. Oh, okay, right. But then, well, because, no, in Apple, it's a closed ecosystem, whereas Google says, but, you know, they're not. You can right. get things from other places. You can sideload things, if you games, you can, apps, if you really want to. But it's much easier to get them through the, through the Play Store. And, and Epic Games are saying, well, if we don't go through Google, then we really can't get the games there, and it's not mm. fair. So they are they are suing them. And next week, uh, their CEO, Tim Sweeney, will take the stand. Tim Sweeney, the author of one of my favourite quotes ever, which was, the first 90% of any project is a lot easier than the second 90%. Oh, OK. Which I think is a... Speaking, yes. Very, very... Very, very apt and um, and clever thing. Yes, they should stop yes. putting that up on all the offices on HS2. They, <laughs> they probably should, shouldn't they? Uh, anyway, also revealed during this uh, during this trial was a bit of information that Google didn't want to let slip out, which is because Apple has Safari, it has Google as the default search engine in Safari both on the Mac and on iPhones and uh, iPads, but Google pays them 36% of their revenue share for having it as the default search engine, which amounts to about $20 billion a year. Blimey. Google pays to Apple. $20 billion a year. That's quite a lot of money, actually. It is, as you say, it is really quite a lot of money. So no wonder they wanted to keep that quiet because it's a little embarrassing all around, I thought. Anyway, that's what they're doing. And who knows, it's not going to close Google down. It's probably not going to change their restrictive practices. But it's good to see someone you know, finally taking a, a stand against them. Well, let's just pause and have one of these. So up in the air, we've been talking uh, in recent weeks about wind turbines. Mm -hmm. And some clever new designs of wind turbines, and in fact, the largest wind turbine ever created, which is going up uh, in China shortly. The trouble with wind turbines is they need a lot of maintenance. How do you maintain a wind turbine when they're very high? Well, you have to get a huge crane, bigger mm -hmm. than the wind turbine, in order to lift things up there. Well, do you, have you ever seen those films of boys in uh, the Caribbean and places shinning up palm trees? Yes, to get the coconuts. Yeah, get yes. coconuts. To get the yes. coconuts, exactly. And these are a very clever technique for going up and down the, the palm trees. Well, there's a, a company called Lagerway who are producing the Lagerway LCC 140, another snappy title, which is a climbing crane. And oh. it climbs up the body of the wind term, turbine in just the same way, which I think is absolutely ingenious. There is There are a couple of drawbacks to it. One is that it weighs 
270 tonnes, and it needs 11 trucks to transport it to the uh, to the turbine. So I'm assuming this is only for wind turbines on land. Yes, clearly. Only for wind turbines on land. Yeah. And it needs a smaller crane to attach it to the tower. But once it's on there, it can zip up and down like, well, like nobody's business, really. It only works with purpose-built towers. In other words, towers that have been specifically designed to take the uh, the LCC-140 climbing crane because mm-hmm. they've got specially reinforced holes in the side that it can dig its claws into as it goes up and down. Anyway, I don't think I'll be getting one anytime soon, but I thought I'd mention it. Can't I see the video of it working, though? There are plenty of videos of it working. Just Google Lagerway LCC 140. Uh, Most of the videos of it working are uh, renders, since I don't think I've actually attached it to a full-size crane yet. Right. But when they do, it'll be quite spectacular. It is terribly slow, so you might want to fast-forward should you uh, be watching the video. I'll bear that in mind. Now, talking of things that are not terribly slow, he said, segueing, segueing brilliantly to our next story. Mm. You probably haven't heard of the Rimac Nevera. You're right, I haven't. No. It's a supercar. And we've, we've, well, everything's we've had... super today. Everything's got super. Supercomputers, super supercars. Yes. Yes, okay. And it's a supercar that back in May broke 23 world records in a single day, which is really quite impressive. These are records for acceleration and braking, including doing naught to 150 miles an hour and then back to zero in under 30 seconds, which I imagine is That's... yes, fairly terrifying for whoever's in the driving seat, even more so for his passenger. Yes, that seems extraordinary. It does. Anyway, they have now broken a new world record as the test driver Goran Durandak, who has made a, a world record for driving backwards. Why? <laughs> because. Okay. <laughs> it's he's managed 171 miles an hour, all not looking over his shoulder, but all looking in the rearview mirror. Which wow. is it takes some nerve, doesn't it? Because cars, you know, they're they're made to go to go forwards, forwards, yes, not to go backwards. And he pointed out that the speed he achieved was faster than the speed that the V12 Lamborghini set when it became the world's fastest car back in 1972, and that was going forwards. That is extraordinary. It is absolutely extraordinary. So maybe, I never understand why a car is called a supercar, but I suppose in this instance, perhaps it's it's, it's deserved. It's not, not a production car. It's not one you're going to see going down your street anytime soon. Well, or, at that speed, I wouldn't see it at all. <laughs> it probably wouldn't, especially if it's going backwards. Anyway, so there we go. That's uh, super computers, super cars. And uh, I suppose we should go on to our super new plastic. Right. I mean, you know, new plastics are things that we're usually not very keen on because plastics are generally held to be bad for the planet. This is an epoxy resin vitrimer. And as I'm sure you know, vitrimers are normally very brittle. But this one... As you, I'm sure you've worked it out for yourself, has been strengthened with a polyrotaxetine, which makes right. it stronger. And what's clever at it is it's very strong at room temperature, but it can be broken down quite easily. It's self-healing. And when it's scratched, you warm it up and it patches itself in, in under a minute. I think it's very clever. And it remembers its previous shape. So if you flatten it, it'll gradually form its old shape. But here's the best thing about it. Mm-hmm. When it's immersed in seawater, 
it turns into fish food. Come what? on, that's that's pretty good for plastic, don't you think? Uh, yes, it's extremely impressive. It is extremely impressive. I mean, it could be the plastic that we've been waiting for, rather than poisoning fish and turtles or whatever. Just give them a give them a little but bit. Will of they do for all sorts of plastics, or is it only useful in certain situations? Well, it's only this particular plastic. I'm not suggesting that all plastics yes, turn into no. fish food, but this one does. And it, it could solve so many of the problems associated with plastic. Whereas I just think it's is it worth yes. a mention. Good on the University of Tokyo for having come up with such an ingenious invention. Well, it's the first time any of the universities that we've mentioned here have come up with something we actually think is useful. Um, <laughs> good moment yes, for us possibly, possibly to take a break. We'll be back very soon, though. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. Listening to Gadgets and Gizmos on Share Radio with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose. And we have got this far into the programme, part two, without mentioning Elon Musk. So I've got to mention Elon Musk because right. you, know, you have to, really, don't you? You must mention um, Musk, yes. Elon Musk, OpenAI, he was one of the co founders of OpenAI, yes. came up with a name, in fact, OpenAI. So he claims, and no one has yet disputed that. And he recently signed an open letter, letter warning of the danger of chatbots and suggesting that there was an industry-wide pause while people figured out what to do with them. And I thought it was uncharacteristically uh, sensible for Elon Musk when he's going to blown it all down by announcing his own chatbot. Oh, God. This is called me. Rock. 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 Um, oh, right. The name taken from uh, Robert Heinlein science fiction book called Stranger in a Strange Land. Oh, right. Okay, thank you. Yes, I knew it struck a chord, but I couldn't work it out where from. Chord, exactly. And the difference is that his chatbot has a real-time knowledge of the world via the X platform, formerly the Twitter platform. Because that's such a good example <laughs> of the real world. Well, yes, exactly. That That is the thing. Whether to distinguish between fact and the large amount of fiction that's on there is uh, anyone's guess. But... He, he he demoed it rather curiously by saying, how do you make cocaine? And when you ask uh, ChatGPT3 that, it says, uh, I'm sorry, I can't assist you with that, quite sensibly, really. Whereas the Grok says, well, there are four steps. First step is to obtain a chemistry degree. Second step, set, set up a clandestine lab, ideally in the desert somewhere. Third step, <laughs> acquire large quantities of coca leaves. And the fourth step, start cooking and hope you don't blow yourself up or get arrested. It then goes on to say, only kidding. But there we go. So it's 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 playful. AI it with a sense of humour, good gracious. AI with a sense of humour, exactly. It'll only be available to premium level X users who pay $16 a month for the privilege of using Twitter faster and bigger and better than anyone else. 
But there we go. It's currently in beta and it will be available for people who pay to use it as and when they decide. Well, GPT-3 couldn't actually use this. Uh, somebody tried posting some pictures on um, Google of a trip we made to Turin and um, his picture of an ice cream got rejected as being obscene. It was quite a strong... ice cream. <laughs> picture of ice cream, right? yes. Got rejected as being oh. obscene. Very bizarre. Very bizarre. Anyway, where do we go now? Well, we go to uh, music. Um, I have a, a gig coming up with my band shortly. Um, can I, have I allowed to mention I'll mention it anyway. Of course so the you Water can. in London, the band is called Bedlam. It's on the 30th of November. And although the gig starts at eight o'clock, the band, of course, there being 16 of us, have to get there early afternoon so that we can sound check. And the thing that takes the longest when you're sound checking is the drummer because every bit of drum kit has to be mic'd up and then played and then tuned and whatever so that it all goes together nicely and sounds like a, a decent drum I kit. I had no idea. Amplified. No. I had no idea. And that is the real pain for, for drummers, or certainly not for drummers, but for everyone else around the drummer, where he's sitting there smashing away at his snare drum and cymbals uh, on demand. Well... The Drum Workshop is celebrating its 50th anniversary with a new electro-acoustic drum set, which looks like a regular drum kit. It plays like a regular drum kit, but there are wireless triggers inside the drums that go to an audio interface. Each of these triggers has up to 10 different zones on the drum that you can hit, and 16 different velocities. Velocities, of course, capturing the, the volume of the of the hit. So the idea is that the drummer is playing his drums. He can then make those drums sound like any drum kit in the world that has been sampled through its 24-bit samples. And it can sound uh, glorious without having to do all that ghastly setup beforehand. So has your drummer bought this kit before your gig? He hasn't, because um, it's uh, $4,500. But if you are a top-flight drummer and you're interested, go to dwdrums.com and you can take a look at what they've come up with. And it's a very, very clever idea. I do like the sound of it. I don't, yes, I'm sort of mystified. Why, why does You can't tune them up before you actually go to the gig. It's take not a question of tuning them. It's a question of... Uh, getting the sound from the microphone into the desk and making it sound oh, as right. possible. Oh, right. Okay. Right. And that has to be, you know, customized for, for every instrument and for every voice. So, you know, it's a, a delicate balance when, okay. you, uh, when you're tinkering with these things. Um, I think it's time for our crowdfunding time of the week, don't you? Oh, we've got to have this then. Multi-tools. There are more multi-tools available than you can shake a, well, a multi-tool at. Uh, not only the, the, the bigger ones like the, the, the Gerbers and the Leathermen and my own favourite, which is the Swiss Army Pocket Tool. Yes, which you've mentioned with, before. Which I have mentioned before. Yes. Um, and there are also ones that you can put on your keyring. And they tend to be screwdrivers and knives and bottle openers and that mm. kind of thing, which are okay. I do carry a little Swiss Army knife around with me everywhere. But this is quite ingenious. This is the TI Spanner. T, spelled T.I. Spanner. It's made of titanium, 
and it is, as the name implies, an adjustable spanner. So the whole thing is only 57 millimetres long. That's about two and a quarter inches to old-fashioned people like yourself. Yes. But it has jaws, and the jaws open to 36 millimetres, which is really quite wide. There's a sort of a screw mechanism going down the, the body of the spanner, and you, you fiddle a little, little thumbwheel winding screw so it makes the jaws open and close. Yes. And then you can use it to open... Anything that has a, a nut on the top. Except, of course, if you're opening 36 millimetres, that's going to be a pretty big nut. And, of course, with uh, only being a couple of inches long, you can't get that much torque on it. But probably good for small things. And, of course, it works as calipers as well. You can measure gaps. That's useful, yes. That's very useful. Anyway, it's, it's called the tie spanner. It's also got a, a spike in it that you can use to uh, break a car window if you're stuck in a car that's gone underwater for whatever reason. You could use it to... Or an electric car, car whose battery box. is gone, as you mentioned, I think, a few weeks ago. Or, car stuck in a car, or yeah. indeed a car in which the driver has suddenly taken upon himself to drive backwards at 171 miles <laughs> Yes, yes, that could be useful. Uh, £55 thereabouts, uh, and uh, it's on Kickstarter now and raising quite a lot of funding. I think it looks really quite a quite a cute thing. You going for it? I'm considering it. I think it may just be rather too small than uh, than would be useful. It's a very not, cute not idea. Not staggeringly cheap either. Not staggeringly cheap, but it is made of titanium. I don't know uh, why it's made of titanium, but who knows? There's probably a reason for that. Um... When Let I... us move on. Let us. Put it, how do you know when you're drunk? Well, let me. I, I normally rely on other people to tell me. Well, exactly. The thing about you know, the... say you're drunk. <laughs> no, but you hum it, and I'll play it. The uh, the thing about uh, consuming alcohol is it has two main side effects. One is that it seriously impairs your judgment when you're driving, and the other yes. being that it makes you think you're an incredibly good driver. Which taking the yes. combination is really somewhat disastrous. We've talked on this show about a bicycle that won't let you drive home if you think if it's you Remember that? Remember what you have to do instead? Oh, uh, did they come and pick you up or something? No, you had, it yeah. contacted your other half or something. It contacted it's... your other half, who then yes. had to come pick you up or persuade you just to go and sleep it off somewhere. You see, the really bizarre things I remember. Yes, it's the useful ones <laughs> exactly. I don't. Well, this is uh, the latest news from the University of Stanford, who teamed up with the University of Toronto to produce an app that can tell how drunk you are simply by changes in your speech. Oh, Not just the people tend to get a bit more slurred, but the velocity of the speech changes, the intonation changes, the pitch of your voice changes. And so they got uh, 18 test subjects, and they got them to read a tongue twister before drinking alcohol. Right. And then read the same tongue twister uh, for an hour, two hours, three hours, and so on after consuming this uh, the alcohol. Mm. And they reckon that they predicted the level of intoxication to 98% accuracy. Didn't the police ostensibly used to do this and ask you to say the Leith police dismissed us or something? That, years, that is apparently what they used to say. I don't know whether they actually said that in Leith. Oh. But it's, it's hard enough to say 
as it is. I think yes. they make you walk along the white line down the middle of a road, don't they? Or don't know, mercifully, I've, I've yet to be asked to do anything like that. I remember going to a, 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 a party at a Lida many years ago, which early on we were discussing how mankind had not developed its ability to tell when you were getting drunk. And it would be nice if you get to that nice stage of drunkenness where you were full of bonhomie and being witty and charming, but before you actually got boorish. And this woman I talked to came to me later and said, you know what we'll be chatting about early enough? Stop drinking now. And I did. <laughs> uh, and it was absolutely yeah. fantastic. I had a really good time. But I left the party a bit early before the rest yeah. of the people got very drunk and ended up in the water in their dinner jackets. Uh, right. So how did she thing. know? How did she know? She was... That you- she well, was clearly soberer than I was. Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think you'd started now. to come down the other side and get a little boorish. Do you, I can't imagine you being boorish, Simon. Uh, well, you're you're a peak bottomy all the time. That's, that's probably only because only because you're as drunk as I am usually when we're together. Right. Well, <laughs> that's it. I'm afraid for this edition of Gadgets and Gizmos. Um, and when is this device going to be available, or isn't it? Oh, as and when. But that's it for Gadget and Gizmos for this week. Plastic turning into fish food. That's probably the one I'll take away. Uh, mm. My thanks to Steve Kaplan. We'll be back with more Gadgets and Gizmos at the same time next week. Is it a gadget? Is it a gizmo? No, it's Gadgets and Gizmos with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose.